All right. Okay, that's what I'm making sure of. Okay, for good. Uh, hey, it's so good seeing you this morning. Just a few things to, I just want to mention, lest I forget. Uh, just want to say, praise the Lord for Roe v. Wade being overturned. I think that was a, an answer to prayer. Um, I, I didn't notice this, but Roe v. Wade was 1973. That makes it 40, a little over 49 years ago, so we're in the 50th year. So Brandon pointed out that kind of matches up with the year Jubilee, which is kind of kind of interesting. But what I, I noticed is um, nationally everything started changing when Rebecca Parma came and spoke at Main Street Baptist Church. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And you were on like NBC National News, which was kind of, that's kind of cool. So we have a famous person here, just in case, in case you want to know. Uh, also, just keep in your prayers vacation Bible school. That's going to be such a, such a big deal. And uh, we do have the need for help after this service, right? So if you are able to be here uh, just to help set up for just, I don't know, somewhere from just five minutes to three hours, uh, you, you could hang out for just a little bit. Do we have enough volunteers? What are the things? Okay, so setting up is kind of important. And then after Vacation Bible School, I know Brad has organized kind of the re- cleanup crew. crew, taking everything out and rearranging it as normal. So if you can help in either of those capacities after the service, or I think 12 o'clock on Friday, if you're able to come and help, that would be, that would be fantastic and, and very welcomed. Uh, I, I want to be kind of practical here this morning. Uh, I want to talk just a little bit about how to throw a party. You say, well, I don't understand. This is practical because we've had lots of parties around here lately, Sunday school parties, birthday parties, anniversary parties, graduation parties. And, and every once in a while we just kind of wonder, am I doing, am I doing the, the party thing right? And there are plenty of books out there, by the way, you can go look at. They'll give you some advice. Uh, the respected sources are like... Emily Post and Amy Vanderbilt. And how many of y'all remember Miss Manners? Anybody here kind of old enough to remember, you know, we had these things called newspapers and people would write, you know, these opinion pieces in them. And so Miss Manners gives us, gives us some directions and and you're going to have different types of parties, but outside of the real specifics about what does the wine glass go over here or on the other side of the water glass or where does the fork go, the salad fork, is it to the left or the right of the you know, dinner, fork, and all the rest. There, there's three things that stand out with regards to instructions on how to throw a party. And some of these are intuitive simply because we've been immersed in our culture long enough. We just sort of know these things. So if you're going to throw a successful party, there, here's three things to keep in mind. One, you've got to start with a well-constructed guest list. Okay, this is how our culture works. You need, and if you're going to have a really good party, you're going to have to invite people who have a lot of things in common, okay? Friends and family members and maybe, you know, close business associates. And as you're thinking about constructing this list, you also have to think about all the people that invited you to their parties, but you've never invited them back. And so it's starting to get a little embarrassing because there are these unspoken contracts that we have socially, the you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And so it's starting to get embarrassing because this couple's had you over a couple of times and you hadn't had them over or anything like that. And so you, they invite you to the parties, and so you've got to keep track. 
And then there are those people, they've never invited you to their parties, and you're just kind of wondering why is it that they've done that because anybody that's anybody goes to their parties, and you're not fried bologna or anything. And so you're just kind of wondering. So you, you invite them to your party one more time in the hopes of so impressing them or so embarrassing them or so whatever that they will eventually invite you over to their party. And then you think about those people that maybe you ought to invite that you're not really close to, but you kind of want to be. Maybe it's a community leader or your boss or something like that because, you know, scratch their back, they're going to scratch yours back. And, and that's just kind of how it works. And one of the most important things when you're constructing a guest list is you've got to make sure you're inviting people from essentially the same social stratum. I mean, you don't want to deal with the people on the other side of the tracks or the other side of the highway or whatever. I mean, your party is not for you to show the other half how your half lives, right? Okay, so that's the first rule. Construct the appropriate guest list. Then the second thing is you've got to send out a nice, clear invitation to people. You need to tell them the nature of the party, the time that the guests were expected to arrive, and then also you need to be real specific, especially with regards to attire. What are they going to wear? I was invited to a party last week. It was actually a Saturday. I couldn't, I couldn't attend, and they were clear on the attire. It was a swim party, and they said, you know, you can come, but, Ernest, you, you've got to wear a shirt, and, you, and, and it can't be just a Speedo. And so I just, so I told them, why would I want to come to your party? Uh, but you need to be real careful about, you know, telling people what they should and shouldn't wear. And so if it's a formal party and they say it's a white tie or a black tie, you make sure you wear a white tie because you don't want to be, con- you don't want to be confused with the wait staff. Okay. And so you're going to send out these invitations that are real specific. And one of the things that's always on the invitation or ought to be is an RSVP. You need to make reservations because there's a third thing that happens at every successful party and that is, you kind of have to figure out the seating arrangements, okay? You want to make sure that people who are nice to other people are seated together, but you don't really want to seat people together if they had a past personally or professionally that just wasn't terribly friendly. And if you've got some Republican friends and if you've got some Democrat friends, you want to seat them at tables on the opposite sides of the room. And this is where independents come in really handy because you can use them as sort of a buffer zone. Uh, But don't get... Don't get libertarians confused with, uh, you know, independence. Just sit them over in a, a back corner with, with me and the Scottish people or something because you don't know where to put them either. Uh, but if you are Scottish, just make sure that they're on the opposite side of the room from the English people. And so you just have to look at all the different aspects of who you've invited so that everybody has a nice, comfortable, warm, friendly conversation. You want the atmosphere to be pleasant. And also, you know, if you're the host, you get to choose who is seated in the place of honor. And so if you're throwing a Super Bowl party, you can say all the cheese dip is for me and the person seated on the couch to my left and to my right. But if you're one of the peons that has to lay on the floor, you get Cheetos bowls, okay? And so you, that, that's how you do the parties. You construct a list carefully. You send out specific invitations, especially with regards to attire. And then you carefully construct things, making seating arrangements comfortable for everybody. Okay, those are the general rules. But there are other kinds of parties. And, uh, and so there are different sorts of guides to these different sorts of parties. And there's one guide in particular. It's an ancient guide. It's the Bible that tells us how to arrange things for the party. And, and specifically in the Bible, there is this party director named Jesus who gives us 
entirely different expectations when it comes to how to throw a party. In fact, when Jesus gives instructions on how to throw a party, he does it while he is at a party himself. When Jesus is at this party, it's got all the right people seated around the table. There are the leading priests and community leaders and respected lawyers and other dignitaries. It's, it, he's at one of these social gatherings that's going to make the you know, social pages of the Austin American statesman. It's one of those kinds of parties. And while he's at one of those kinds of parties, he tells them, you guys don't know how to party. Here's how you do it. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 21. Then Jesus said to his host, and he's saying this while he's at the table at this guy's party, he says, don't do the party like you're doing the party. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. Don't do it like you're doing it. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, obviously, somebody forgot to tell Jesus that when you're at a proper party and you're a proper guest, you don't improperly embarrass the host in front of everybody. But Jesus doesn't seem to be all that concerned about being polite all the time. The story continues, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on to tell the story that makes matters worse, that makes the situation more awkward. He tells this parable about the ultimate party, the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, And the lame, sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, Jesus makes it very, very clear in this parable that many of the people who have gathered at that particular table on that particular day were not necessarily going to be at the feast of the kingdom of God. It's not that they weren't invited. It's just that they weren't going to respond appropriately to the invitation in the great feast. There would be people seated in places of honor who were poor and blind and lame and crippled. Basically, the people who would be at the feast would be the ones who were distinguished by nothing other than their common need and their desire to say yes to the invitation. You see, when when God throws a party, he throws a party unlike any party that you have ever attended or that I've ever attended. When God throws a party, the protocol that he uses is very, very different. 
he doesn't make a constricted guest list because there are no restrictions in in the size of the party that he can manage. He, he doesn't have a restricted guest list at all. And he doesn't really only invite people who can repay the favor because God's the host. And how do you repay God? Well, you can't. And so the invitation is very common. It goes out to everybody. There's something that's also kind of interesting about the invitations that God sends out. He doesn't specify the attire. You know why? Because when God throws a party, it's a come-as-you-are party, which is another way of saying it's a be-as-you-are party. When you come to a party that God throws when He is the host, you don't have to look like everyone else or like everyone else expects. You know, all put together and well-managed and covering yourself in a particular way, you can come unpolished and broken. And when God sends out the invitation, it just goes out to everybody. And you never know who's going to show up at the party. I mean, when you come to the party that God throws, it could be the bank manager seated at the same table as the panhandler they pass on the way to work every day. It could be the physician seated with the person who is suing him for malpractice or the restaurant manager seated with the person that she fired that morning. You never know who you're going to be seated with. You never know who's going to show up. And when it comes to the people who were seated in the places of honor, it's not the it's not the dignitaries. It's not the people of power and position and prestige. It's just the poor and the lame and the blind and the and the crippled. When God throws a party, it's unlike any other party, and we don't know when the great feast is going to occur. We don't know when the party is actually going to happen. But whenever we gather together as the people of God, it's like a warm-up for the party that's yet to come because if God is the host of the party, there are always going to be these particular elements that are a part of the the gathering. And so in, in what time we have left this morning, I want to be very, very basic and simple. I want to point out four elements to the party that ought to always be present, not just with regards to us gathering here literally physically, but with regards to the way we conduct ourselves as the church, as the body of Christ in the world on the whole. And, and the first thing I think that jumps out at me in this particular parable is the priority of the kingdom, the priority of the party. See, there's lots of people that have been invited to the party, but when they are summoned, a lot of them, they just don't show up for whatever reason. You know, we typically think, you know, when somebody comes to Christ, a lot of times it's just because they don't understand the doctrine or don't believe certain aspects of the Christian narrative. And that sometimes is true. Sometimes people don't understand or sometimes people don't believe some of the facts. But... It's not just a matter of accepting Jesus or not. It's a matter of understanding appropriately the, the priority of the kingdom or the preeminence of Christ. Let me, let me put it to you like this. We know that lots of people have already said yes to the party. That's obvious because when the servant is sent out, he sends out to summon those who've already said, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm in. Yes, that sounds good to me. But when they're summoned to the party, they just don't feel like the party is the priority. They got work to do. 
They've got oxen to manage, land to check out, a, a marriage to maintain. The problem is when they first said yes to the party, they didn't know that the party was going to change anything practical about their life. They didn't think they were going to have to adjust their lifestyle, their relationships. They didn't think it was going to cramp their income or change their schedule. This is the, this is the problem. A lot of times people don't, people aren't in the kingdom because they don't recognize the priority. They don't come to the party because they think it's secondary to so many other things going on in their lives. I, uh, I came across this, this is about a week ago. I thought this was really good. There were three questions kind of put back to back to back that kind of gave me some time for reflection. The question was, is Jesus present in your life? And a lot of people say, yeah, 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 Jesus is present. He's my dude. He's my, he's my main man. He's got my back, however it is. I go to him when I, I need something. Is Jesus prominent in your life? And people would say, some would say, well, he is prominent. In fact, I've invited him into my life. In fact, I've even given him a, a seat at my right hand at the table. I've invited him to my table. And then there's the other question, is Jesus preeminent in your life? Now, that's different. Because when Jesus is preeminent in your life, you recognize he's the host of the party and you've been invited to his table. When Jesus is just present, it's like, yeah, I got a party and he's over there in the corner. Sometimes we get close. Sometimes we're just sort of distanced. And sometimes it's just Jesus is prominent. He's my, he's my right-hand man. And, and I'll use him. I've invited him into my life. But when Jesus is preeminent, you recognize it's his party and you're just there. Or put it a little bit differently, it's Jesus' world and you're living in it. For some of us, it's, it's my world and he's living in it. If Jesus is not the cornerstone, then you've come to a Jesus who is other than who Jesus really is. He's not just the add-on or the, the new tile on the bathroom floor. He's the cornerstone. It's Jesus' party. You've been invited in. You're his guest. It's all about him. That's the prominence of the kingdom of God. And some people just miss it because they think it's my world. and He's just living in it. So there's the prominence of the kingdom that comes across in this parable loud and clear there's something else that i think we see in this parable that's really clear too and that is the freeness of this and here's what i mean it's not a potluck the great feast god has done everything the great host has done everything for the party all people do is show up and enjoy the grace and if you understand the grace of the party, you're going to show up. But if you don't understand the prominence or the, the preeminence of Christ, if you don't understand the priority of the kingdom and you don't understand the grace, you're not going to come running. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe this will help. When I was younger, living at the house, um, mom, basically, she would cook meals all the time, especially every evening we were there, mom would cook. And we knew that, you know, we were going to eat around 6, 6.30, somewhere in that range. And we knew that it was coming because you could smell it because it's cooking in the kitchen. And so the invitation was always implicit. You're welcome to eat at 6 o'clock. And then the aroma is coming. And sometimes they'd say, okay, it'll be ready in about 10 minutes. 
And then there would be the final call. You've already been invited. Now you're being summoned. Dad is, get down here. Now, like a fool, as a kid sometimes is, not, not our teenagers. Our teenagers are like next level mature people. But I wasn't always next level mature. And so, you know, the call would come and I wasn't appreciating the grace gift because mom cooked it, dad paid for it, I never cooked it, I never paid for it, and you know what else? I never helped clean up. And I'm sorry now, mom, please forgive me, but I, I just came and eat and I would eat and then I'd leave. But when that summon would come, sometimes I wouldn't run down with immediacy because I didn't understand the priority, I didn't understand the grace and the freeness because I had better things to do. I was a teenager. I lifted weights. I played basketball. I've got better things to do. I'm going to be upstairs and I'm going to pick my nose or flex in the mirror. I'm not coming down. You know, I mean, you know how important things are when you can't come to dinner immediately because I'm finishing a page in my homework or I'm going in the mirror. And and I learned really quickly that's not going to work because if I didn't come down... Not only would mom and dad be upset, and that just wasn't going to happen, because I got disciplined in my home. This is back in the days when, you remember these things called paddles? Yeah. Uh, you know, that happened when I was younger, and then it was like grounding and all the rest. And, you know, my parents were, they were great, but it's, I just, I forgive you now. Okay? Uh, anyways, but no, they were great parents, but it wasn't just my parents, because I knew if I didn't come down, my brother, who was the true jerk in the family, would eat my portion too. And so, you know, when it's ready and you're summoned, you come to the party. There's a, there's a, if you appreciate the grace, if you appreciate the freeness, you're, you're not going to do something like this either where you go, okay, there's a banquet, somebody else is paying the $250 bill, it's a white tie occasion, all the tables have been set, there's the, you know, the super chef of the town is preparing everything, and I go, you know, maybe, I, since I can't pay for anything and you're not going to let me tip, can I just bring a couple of, I don't know, Marie Callender chicken pot pies to make up. That's degrading the gift. Like what, you think you're going to help make things better by saying this is a potluck? You don't understand the grace. You don't understand the freeness of the kingdom. If you did, you wouldn't even suggest bringing something to the table. All you bring to the table is your need. And you come when you're summoned because you understand the priority of the kingdom. There's something else I think that's kind of interesting in the middle of all this with regards to the, the nature of the kingdom is there's kind of a slowness here. Like there's an invitation that goes out before the invitation and then there's the cooking and all the preparations and, and, and God, the great host, is waiting on people to show up. As much as my mom and my dad want me to come when it's ready, they were waiting on me even before the summons came. She was preparing. She was cooking. And then the summons comes, and it still takes a few minutes to get down there. It's just like, you know, they were waiting on me. My mom had this thing, like we sat at the table. She would bring the stuff to the table. Sometimes we would get it, but then she would get up and bring things. And to this day, she's generally the last one to eat because she was waiting on me. The host is waiting on you. There's a slowness and a patience. But the other thing here is also there's like a commonness, a broadness of the, of the kingdom. Because if you don't bring anything to the table except for your recognition of need 
And when you recognize the priority that he is a holy, 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 separate other host who is waiting on you, well, then why would you think that you would be the one to get an invitation but not everybody else? No, there's a commonness to the grace, and that's why everybody gets invited. And if you're paying attention to the parable really closely, you see that the the master of the banquet is talking to one servant. Here's one servant who goes out to the whole world to bring them in. Who do you think the servant is? Jesus. And what do you think the banquet is? What is it that God serves? The broken body and shed blood of Jesus. He's the one who sends the invitation and he is the banquet to which you've been invited. Now that is, that is next level grace. And one of the things too that ought to really stand out to you and to me in, in the final analysis is just how much the Father wants you to come to the banquet. There's a desperation there with with God, with the Master. Let me read a verse that I didn't get to. In verse 22, the servant says, Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the Master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. The Father's angry when people don't show up. The Master of the Banquet's angry when they don't show up. And then he's like, My house needs to be filled. You could read that in a negative way, I suppose, but I would say that's a terrible misreading. When people are angry, it's because they're hurt. That's why people get angry, because they've been hurt. It hurts the Father when people who are invited don't show up. And you could also say, well, you know, maybe God is sort of a narcissist. My house needs to be full. This party's all about me. You're reading it wrong, and let me tell you why I know that. Uh, When I was in... Uh, Amarillo this last week, you know, Jean and I, Jean is up in Colorado and she's enjoying some time up there and family and friends are coming through and back and forth and that's great. But we hadn't seen each other for a couple of weeks. So we thought we would meet up in romantic Amarillo. It was, I mean, you know, when I, when I'm in, I'm all in. You know, so like we're going to go to a romantic Amarillo. It was going to be, actually the halfway place was Lubbock, but it wasn't romantic enough. I went all the way to Amarillo to meet her past halfway. And she wanted me to bring the dogs. So I brought the dogs, as you hadn't seen the dogs in a couple of weeks. Her little dog is Rocky, and, and, and the dog that's really my dog uh, was Lola. Lola died when I took her up there. I, yeah, I know. And uh, she's about three and a half years old. Was my, really my dog. It, technically, Shelby's, but I was already lawyering up for a custody battle. So the dog was mine. But l- here's what happened. Lola got the dog about a half year before she started college. She said, I'm going to get a dog. We're going to get it attached. And y'all can watch her for a year, my freshman year when I'm in the dorm. And then I'll be out of the dorm and then my dog will be mine. And you know how your kids sort of trick you? Mom... I never did that, but you know how Nathan, my brother, used to do that to you. Uh, anyway, so I just wound up keeping the dog the whole time. And so that dog was kind of like my connection to Shelby. You know, she was the one that left, and now it's an empty nest. And so that was sort of my dog. And, uh, and we got attached, and that dog would sleep with me. And sometimes, you know, you just need a dog where you can lie down on the floor and they'll lick your face. You know what I mean? If you've got a dog. Well, she was a super sweet dog. 
And the last day of her life was a special day because I was going up on that Wednesday to Amarillo, and so I played Frisbee with her most of the morning in her front yard, and she loved that. She would never bring the Frisbee back. I'd throw the Frisbee. She'd put her foot on the Frisbee, wait for me to come pick up the Frisbee, and then so she played fetch with me. And so I would throw the Frisbee. She'd go get the, and then I, we'd do that, and then she'd get tired because she was a, she was a, a, a smaller dog, but she was really thick and super sweet. Uh, people at the dog park would sometimes call her Porky. That made me upset. But anyways, I'm not bitter. But anyways, uh, so we got in the car or in the Jeep, and I drive up 100 miles. Got to take a break, you know. It's a dog. So we stopped and played Frisbee again. Then we stopped and played Frisbee again in Snyder. Then when I got to Amarillo, we played Frisbee when we got there. And then after I meet up with Gina, we go to the dog park and play Frisbee again. I'd never played Frisbee five times in the same day with Lola. Lola was a happy dog. It's the best day of Lola's life. And then she couldn't catch her breath. Now, she had, had something developing in her throat. We didn't know what it was, but she just she would have a hard time catching her breath, and she'd get excited and just sort of start wheezing, that kind of thing. But on this particular day, about 7.30, after we went to the dog park, um, she couldn't catch her breath. And, uh, and we called the vet, said, what's going on? So just watch her, give her some Benadryl. We did that. We thought maybe she got stung by an ant or had some anaphylactic relax- reaction. Her saliva was happening. She was throwing up. And, but she could never catch her breath. Then we ended up taking her in to this emergency clinic, and this was after midnight. And uh, they intubated her, got her better, took out the tube. She couldn't catch her breath even in the middle of a oxygen chamber. Making a long story short, she we did x-rays and all that stuff. And she had a chronic condition. I won't get into the thing, but she probably had an anaphylactic reaction on top of the chronic condition. She couldn't catch her breath. She wasn't going to make it. So we put her down like at 2.45 that Thursday morning. And that was sad. You know, I'm glad that I was there and Gina was there and it was the best day of our dog's life, but it was sad. Then I came home Friday. And uh, and now the house is quiet. I got little Rocky. He's there, but whenever Rocky runs around, I'm thinking about Lola. And at night, it's really quiet and there's not the same movement. You know how it is if you're an empty nester or you've lost a loved one or your dog died, your cat died, and all of a sudden... That presence is gone. Lola was my party. And she's not there. And it's sad. But she's just a dog. Now, I love her. She's just a dog. Now, your Heavenly Father looks at you and looks at others like you outside of this sphere of influence. And your Father just goes, you know, I cannot imagine the eternal party without you there. It's going to be too quiet in my house without you. The father's hurt when we don't show up to the party and he is absolutely heartbroken when his house is not filled with those whom he loves and so he sends out his servant to invite people. Now, we know ultimately the servant is Jesus, but guess what? You're the body of Christ. Where you go, he goes. And as you go into this world, please recognize that if you've come to the party instantly because you're in Christ, you've been given a task to hand out invitations. Because when it comes to your friend or your coworker or your neighbor, as far as the Father's concerned, the party is just not going to be the same without them. 
Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, uh, you're, you're, you're more than good. You are, you are gracious. And of course, your kingdom is the priority. We don't always see that or respond that way, but we are foolish when we do not see it. Jesus is preeminent. The kingdom is the highest priority. And it's grace upon grace, the freeness to which we cannot add a thing. It ought to overwhelm us and make us respond with an appropriate immediacy. But you are patient and you wait on us and you wait on us. But there's a time where we should respond. And Lord, in our arrogance, we do not invite as you have invited us because we don't see the commonness of it. We don't always pray for those to show up whom we maybe sometimes even despise. Help us, Lord, to pray for the lost. Help us to pray for those who have not yet come in. Help us to take risks when it comes to handing out the invitation, recognizing that when Jesus came and gave us the invitation, the invitation was to the feast that was given to us over his broken body and shed blood. May the greatness of your kingdom and the extent of your love change not only our hearts and our attitudes, but our actions as well. May we truly in every way be people of the invitation. And if there are any here who have yet to receive the invitation, I pray that you would grant them the wisdom to just receive it, to show up to the party where everything's been paid for and it never gets any better because it starts off with a bang and never has a down note. To be in the house with you is glory for us and it's glory for you. It's all you want. Our joy in you is found in your joy being made complete in us. So, Lord, if there are any here who have yet to come home to the party, I pray that you just give them the wisdom to say, Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know that I have fallen short. And my falling short is not just doing the wrong things. It's seeing things the wrong way. It's putting you off. It's blowing you off. It's going my own way. And all, God, you've ever wanted from me is the best, and you're the best for me. So, God, I just want to repent of my sin and selfishness and blindness. And, and come to you who, have, who has prepared the table before me. God, I repent. I turn from my sin and selfishness. And I turn and trust to Jesus Christ and what it is that he's done to me and the relationship into which I've been invited by his grace. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for Jesus. And, Lord, I want to spend the rest of my days just getting to know you better and enjoying the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you pray that, I want to encourage you in that relationship. I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to Ernest or Brad at msbchurch.com. We'd love to talk to you, follow up with you. But for now, let's go ahead and continue on in worship uh, by observing the Lord's Supper. Let me just remind you.